what do you want to be when you grow up? This question gets posed to us many a times throughout our lives. As children, we all dream about what we want to be when we grow up. Some of us define that dream based on what adults in our lives do, characters on television shows we watch, or roles we learn about in books. Some people know exactly what they will do when they grow up. Others do not know until the first couple of years of college or even later. Welcome to Keys to the Future. My name is Gabby Coe and I'm a senior systems engineer at one of the most successful engineering companies in the world. In this season, I'm presenting a series of conversations with many experts, most in science, technology, engineering, and math, or STEM careers, who will provide a glimpse into their professional world and hopefully inspire you to learn more about what they do and help you explore career options. Before Google became a verb, people used dictionaries to look up the meaning of words, encyclopedias to learn about different topics, maps to navigate around places, and telephones were attached to walls. Imagine that! Technology has revolutionized our lives, the way we work, play, and live. Smart devices put information at our fingertips, making our lives easier and more fun. But speaking more broadly, technology saves lives, improves the way we communicate, transforms education, and makes it easier for us to innovate and continue to improve all aspects of our lives. Technology and innovation are needed to create new products and solutions for problems to improve the world we live in. They help businesses keep up with a fast-paced world by improving efficiency, effectiveness, and competitive advantage. A career in technology can be very exciting and rewarding. Today, we're talking with some amazing women who are pushing the envelope in their organizations in solving tough customer problems at the ground, air, and outer space levels. They will give us a glimpse into what their day looks like innovating great solutions, what skill sets are required, and offer advice for someone thinking of a career in technology. to meet our panel of guests. Dr. Sandy Forney is a technology director for a top-tier aerospace and defense company. She leads the evolution and execution of enterprise digital transformation strategy and business agility. Dr. Forney has served the same company for more than 35 years in program portfolio management and engineering leadership roles across multiple domestic and international markets. Lindsay Bobian is a systems engineering manager and a certified systems engineer for a top-tier aerospace and defense company. And Ellie Damo is a vice president for a large federal government consulting firm, supporting all aspects of the systems engineering lifecycle for over 30 years. Her primary focus is on program management, business expansion, and mentoring. Thank you all for joining us today. Thanks, Thanks. Gabby. Thanks, Gabby. Gabby. We live in a world that evolves around technology. It seems every day there is a new app to help us learn about a topic, monitor our activities, order food, make decisions, and on and on. Our homes, phones, and cars are smart. The concept of the Internet of Things is real, and it applies to all aspects of our lives, work, and play. So I wanted to present our audience with some amazing women who are pushing the envelope in their organizations in solving tough customer problems at all levels, ground, air, and outer space, to provide their advice for those thinking about entering the technology space as their career field. So I'm curious, what does it mean to be women in technology? Lindsay, what are your thoughts? 
To me, it's really an important role because it's an underrepresented field. And I was in a scholarship for in college for women in technology. And our goal was to expose girls to STEM as early as possible. So that's something I still am a champion for. I think it's important to show kids early and often that women can do the exact same thing <laughs> that, that boys can do, that girls are good at STEM just like boys are good at STEM. And, and that representation really matters. So being that positive role model is really important to me. And I think as a woman in technology, I kind of have a responsibility to include women at all levels of tech as users, as creators, as developers. And some of the biggest innovations come from diverse teams. So getting the most diverse, diverse and inclusive teams that we can is, is really important. So I think I'm proud to be a woman in technology and I'm trying to get more women in technology. Sandy, what do you think? When I think about women in technology, it's interesting because today in 2021, everybody is in technology. And when I first joined as a young engineer right out of school, uh, the word technology really was centered around, you know, what geeky people do. How about you, Ellie? I think Lindsay had a great point about women in technology and the contributions. And I think the key thing to me over the years is to see the number of women that have gotten into the more technical fields and that bring their great perspective to what technology needs to do, not just for the cars of the world, but in the homes and in your everyday life. And what does the phone need to do for you as opposed to what it might need to do for somebody else? So it really brings a great diversity of thought along the way. And I'm glad to see that so much of the technology industry embraces that now, embraces that diverse thought and that women have a, have a place at the table. There's room for improvement, but I think we've come a long way. That is awesome. I heard positive role modeling every day. We're every day in technology, no matter who you are. And we bring a great perspective and diversity of thought. I couldn't agree with you all more. Tell me how you became interested in having a career in technology and was it everything you thought it would be? Well, my father inspired me to consider a role in engineering from a very young age. He was an engineer. He since passed away and God bless his soul. But uh, he and his brother were both raised as engineers. And then he encouraged basically everyone in our whole family to all become engineers because he thought that that was a good way to make a living and give back to society and leverage what we really all inherited in, in our genetics was just that ability to do math, understand math and logic that seemed to come naturally in our family. But I can tell you that it wasn't what I always wanted to be because I was also inspired by my mom who had a degree in what would be called now fashion merchandising. And she used to model when she was younger. And she always encouraged me to kind of really think about, you know, frankly, the more traditional things that women do. And my father was on the flip side, always saying, you know, you really should be thinking about something where you're going to make enough money to have good, decent living. And I always had that yin and yang going on. And I, I actually, in 11th grade, 
the turning point for me was I actually got on what they called the fashion advisory board for a local department store. Sounds very fancy, I know, but it really was more about doing little odd jobs that did include some modeling and like being a reindeer for the Santa Claus that would come every year and take pictures with the kids. Mm-hmm. And I participated in a my very first and only modeling event and I hated it. I hated it so bad. I hated the way I was treated basically like an object. Nobody talked to me. My brain wasn't being used at all. I was just told wear this, wear, wear, put your hair like this, walk this way. And I walked, I got home from that event and I told my dad, you know, I want to use my brain for a living because this whole thing about being totally judged on how you look and how you walk and is not rewarding. I hate that. I hated it so bad. <laughs> so I decided to go major in engineering and electrical engineering. And I picked a field that I thought would really help me change the world. I thought that being an electrical engineer, I had the ability to create new inventions that would help society. My first thought was to your first question, is it everything that I thought it would be when I went to school? in electrical engineering at Virginia Tech, go Hokies, I first wanted to major in biomedical engineering. And I took my first biomedical engineering course, and it really wasn't anything that I expected. I thought I was going to be able to literally help save people. And what I found is it was more about the mechanical aspect of building widgets, new kinds of thermometers, you know, pacemakers, those are all good things. But it didn't inspire me. And frankly, I wasn't really that mechanically inclined as I was electrical math inclined. And I I just didn't like it. And then I discovered communications was the thing that I was interested in, in which then evolved to telecommunications, networking, information security, which eventually led to IT and systems engineering. And so what I didn't expect along my journey is how complicated the world had become and how technology and majoring in a field that helps people connect to one another and collaborate with each other uh, became the most inspirational thing I could ever have possibly chosen. And I didn't know all of that when I, when I first started. Interesting, Sandy, that your dad was an engineer. My dad was an engineer as well. And while I I have a degree in finance, so I don't have a computer degree sort of landed in this field indirectly, but I had been exposed to computers at my dad's labs and we got to go work on those, play on those, you know, hit the keyboards when we were very young and most people didn't have access to computers. They weren't in everybody's home back then. And so when I got out of school and I tried a few things and I said, well, I always had fun on computers. Like I always got them, like I understood them and I felt like I had a pretty good analytical brain. And that's when I decided to take a job in computers. And I worked on a help desk as my very first job so I could understand it. And the rest is history from there and just learned a lot along the way. It's more than what I thought it would be because for me, it was just a, well, let me try that because this other thing wasn't working out. And it kind of ended up being what I really love to do. Yeah. I kind of stumbled into engineering by accident. I wanted to be a writer for as long as I can remember. And then in high school, we had to take a, a class 
for a technical education credit. And I was going to take something and then my dad said, well, why don't you take this computer programming class? I was like, I don't want to do that. And he said, just try it. You know, it could be a good career. Just take the class. It's one semester. So I took it and I just fell in love with it. It was like doing a puzzle every day and it was fantastic. And it, you know, worked my brain, like Sandy was saying, and, and I just never looked back. I love that. I love all that feedback. Sandy, first of all, your the reindeer outfit didn't do it for you. I love that. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, you stumbled into the in, into the field by accident, I heard Ellie said, and then trying a class really made a difference for Lindsay. Mm-hmm. And, you know, try sometimes trying those things that we don't think we're going to like may make a difference in our lives. So, I, and I know, Sandy, you already touched upon this but what was your major in college and how did, did that major help you get the job that you have now? I was electrical engineering at Virginia Tech. I always have to give a shout out for our fellow Hokies. I know Gabby is a Hokie as well. I did want to say how I pick the degree. Those that are listening that might be thinking about what do they want to be when they grow up kind of thing. Uh, one thing that I learned actually from my mom and my dad, um, who both worked for the federal government. By the way, we were a pretty middle-class family, uh, a middle-class family growing up. Both my parents worked for the government. My father's father uh, had an eighth grade education as a taxi cab driver, his mother a high school education. Uh, my mom's side, they, they had more education and lived a complete different life than my father's side of, of the family that had, you know, they didn't have any money at all, lived up, <laughs> it grew up in the depression and went to school basically to, you know, had to pay for all their own school, work their way through school, didn't have any parents or grandparents like we all did. It sounds like that could encourage them to explore engineering or whatever. I mean, they just looked at it like, I need to have a job, I need to have money and get out of this situation. <laughs> And so my father really encouraged me to pursue a field that I was never going to have to worry about having enough to eat, roof over your head, being able to go to the store and buy shoes. These are things that we all take for granted that people that grew up in the depression just didn't have in that stability of an income. So when I was looking at electrical engineering, my parents got me this book, which you can now get online, and it was called Occupational Outlooks. And what that book did, which is now a database, Occupational Outlooks, that you could look at all the different careers, you know, from technology, non-technology, all different fields that are out there, look at the the average salary, the number of people that are employed, whether it's growing in demand, shrinking, what are the types of jobs you could get in that field, uh, what kinds of education you need, and the whole, like everything you ever want to know about every, every different career. And what I did was I looked at engineering and of all the different types of of engineering at the time, electrical engineering was predicted to have the highest income of all the other engineering. And I said, that's what I'm going to go do. (laughs) And it was the hardest one. Sorry, aerospace people out there. That was a close second. But uh, I said to myself, I'm going to go for something. I'm going to go for the absolute hardest thing that has the highest fail out rate because I can always downgrade to something else. But so I have to start at the hardest place. So that's why I picked electrical engineering. So I graduated with my undergrad and I wanted to get my graduate degree, but then I started interviewing and got all these job offers and 
I found out if I went to go work, they'll pay for me to get my master's anyway. So I said, that's what I'm going to go do. 10 years later, I got my master's in telecommunications and computers, which at GW University. And today that would be called more network engineering and cybersecurity. So it was really a blend of you know telecommunications networks and really managing cybersecurity and systems engineering. And that's what I was doing for a living. I said, one day I want to go get my doctorate. And then over 20 years went by and I realized I'm not getting any younger and this was on my bucket list. So I said, I'm going to go back. And people thought I was crazy. I decided to go get my doctorate also at GW in engineering management, which really has been so helpful in my in my recent career and helped me uh, not only stay relevant and current as you get older, uh, you know, there's a lot that's changed in particularly in technology. And it's really important to be a continuous learner and continue to uh, learn and adapt your frame of reference. Uh, so I, I'm just so thrilled that I went and, and did that. All of that has helped me in my career. Each time I had a, a degree, it enabled me to go get a different position within my own company. And I've always chosen to stay within the company. I always could have left it, multiple opportunities along the way to have left, but I really decided that working for a company that, that cares about education and people and gives you the opportunity to learn and grow was where I want to be. That's a great point. You, you mentioned employers give you the opportunity and have that benefit of paying for high, higher education, which I, in my mind, you should take advantage of as much as possible. You also mentioned continued education to stay relevant and current. That is so important because in technology, things change on almost a daily basis, it seems. So to stay current mm -hmm. and, and relevant is so important. So I know that you know, all you ladies have a very busy day and I'm really curious as to what your day looks like. So can you describe a day in, in the life of someone in your career? Lots of meetings. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> so where I am in my career now, I, I'm more on the leadership side of things and I don't get to get my hands dirty as much as I'd, as, as I'd like to. But as a systems engineer, there's no real typical day. You have collaborative meetings to, to solve technical issues that have been found in, in design or test or execution. You're talking to different people and different teams to understand their design, design decisions and how that impacts the, the larger program. And you're making sure that teams are communicating because if team A makes a design decision that affects team B, we have to make sure that team B is aware of that and that they can handle that decision and that design change and really talking to customers and stakeholders and understanding what they need and make sure that we are designing and building something that will actually help them. I would agree. There's lots of meetings and that may sound like a negative thing, but you know, some of those are, are meetings with the, the team as, as Lindsay mentioned, talking about how can we solve this problem? What kind of innovation could we could we bring to the table to help the customer in their mission that they maybe haven't thought of, that maybe we hadn't thought of? So bringing together that diversity of thought, getting different people in a room to try and hack out a different way maybe to resolve a customer need are some of the, the most fun meetings because it's just a pure brainstorming session. And then a lot of times it may be 
presenting off to leadership. How are we doing? How are things going? So as a program manager and a portfolio manager, how, how are things progressing and what do the teams need? Where are the trends going or what are some of the challenges that they're facing and what can I do and what can other leadership folks do to help them be as successful as possible? And, um, and then um, a lot of times it'll be just checking in with some of the folks, whether they're maybe well, one of my mentees or just somebody on the program who's maybe had some struggles recently, whether they were personal or in business and, and just doing a check-in and just making sure everything's going okay and letting them know that there's resources there to support them. Those are uh, some of the more critical meetings for me in making sure that people can be successful at work and can bring their whole selves to work and for the success, not just of for the customer, but also for the team themselves and making sure we have a great, fun team environment in which to work. Recently, I've heard a new term for meetings and people are calling them collaboration events. And I like that term better. Technologists just don't sit in meetings all day. It's just how we collaborate with each other in order to solve problems. And the, the fun part about solving problems and I like the way Ellie described it, is you're really just bringing everybody together to figure out how do we move the the ball forward down the field together of whatever whatever it is that we're trying to do. And that is really fun to get people together. And now we've got fun ways with like annotated whiteboarding and pe- people really, really go all out now um, using fun collaborative ways to to solve problems together online with gamification and that kind of thing. But really that's our, a typical day is you spend time collaborating and getting alignment with others to get everybody on the same page. As a leader, that's my number one job every single day is to just make sure everybody understands the vision, the strategy of where we're going and where they fit in. Also every single day, I think there's a time where I, I hear what obstacles people are having so I can help remove impediments for them. And that's fun too. If you can help somebody else move their ball forward, that's very rewarding. And of course, the the best days as a technologist is when you get to actually see and demo the results of your work and see the delight on people's faces uh, or the, the flip side, which is also sometimes people don't like everything you're doing, but feedback is a gift that enables you to make the product better. I couldn't agree with you all more. Technology Mm -hmm. really has changed the way we work. I mean, specifically during the pandemic, uh, Mm -hmm. really has changed the way we work and collaborate. And I mean, not even in the same town, but across the world. That's an alignment. You said alignment with everybody. Everybody needs to have the same picture of what we're working towards. So that's very important. And technology helps us enable all those capabilities. So I'm really curious. You ladies are really busy and involved in your, in your organizations. But what key steps did you take to get to where you are in your career? And, and was it a straight shot there? So as I mentioned, I have a finance degree. I don't have the typical STEM degree. So I came into it a, in a different way. I started, as I mentioned, on a help desk. I happened to be on a help desk for a financial management system implementation. And they realized I I knew about business and I had information about 
accounting and finance data. And I quickly became an analyst and based on achieving what they needed me to do and being able to analyze the data that they were looking at and help them figure out how to implement a financial management system. I got offered to help out with some testing and then I got offered to sort of help them with some data conversion things. And the next thing I know, I'm leading data conversion teams and I'm talking about how do we map data from the old system into the new system and make sure it's good, solid data, doing data cleansing and, and data validations and then transmitting it into the new system and making sure we have reporting going on. And so I started leading test teams and then I started leading development teams. And eventually I was like, okay, so I've done all of that. Let me try program management. And they were willing to let me try it because I'd, I had a pretty broad background in leading all these different teams and um, had been pretty successful with those. And so started to get into that program management side of the house and uh, being responsible for resourcing projects and making sure that we were meeting customer requirements and, and collaborating with those customers and presenting our statuses and working with leadership. And then it was being responsible for profit and loss on a program and trying to grow a program. So looking for other opportunities that the customer might need us for to expand the good work we were doing to bring other people on and try and do other good things that we were doing. So from there, I got to the point I'd been doing program management a while and I said, well, let me try some other things. And I asked my manager at the time, I said, hey, if something else comes up, I'd love to come back and learn more about business units and operating units and, and more on the corporate side of the house. And I was afforded that opportunity to do it. And then I got into diversity and inclusion. I was able to co-chair a team there. So I kept getting all these different opportunities, a lot of it because I asked for something new. I sort of said, oh, I've been doing that a while. Let me go try this for a while. And I was lucky enough that I had people and mentors and role models around me that allowed me to ask. And even if something wasn't available, I was able to be considered for it for future things. And so kind of went on from there. And even my most recent shift into a vice president role, uh, managing a portfolio was because it was time to expand. It was time for me to grow. And it was time to take that next step from program management into portfolio management and give it a shot. So I wouldn't say it was straightforward by any means, but all of the different things I did helped me succeed in the next role that I took. And I was able to leverage a lot of that knowledge. And for the knowledge I didn't have, I was at least able to figure out how to go get the knowledge I needed for that next role. I like that. You were open to try different things and keep continue to learn to help you to grow. And not, not only you, you did that, but it allowed you to grow and also allowed your company to expand into different areas, it sounded like. Absolutely. I'm also curious about what skills and abilities and personal attributes to be a successful in the technology field. What are your thoughts about this? I have a lot of thoughts about this. <laughs> and I'm... I'm <laughs> I'm interested to hear what, what Ellie and Sandy have to say too, because a lot of the things that I think are important abilities and personal attributes and skills to be successful are more on the soft skills side of things and not necessarily on the technical side of things. You have to be able to learn and grow and understand technical aspects of things. But I think to be successful in a technology field, you have to be curious and you have to be able to 
to think about the big picture and the, the program or the product in its entirety. And you have to listen and be a really good communicator and being able to put some of those technical concepts into terms that anybody can understand is really important also, especially when you're talking to senior leadership or customers who may not be as familiar with the, the gory details of the technology. And I think you just, you need to be willing to ask a lot of questions and be collaborative. I think challenging the status quo is really important because you don't innovate if you don't ask why we're doing things the way we're doing them. And I think being open to feedback and remembering that in building a product or a program or something, it's, it's always evolving. So you have to be willing to put the first wrong answer on the table and have people build on it and morph it. We're never going to be right the first time. So I think it's important to get something out there that people can collaborate on because we're not successful in a bubble. And to build really good programs and really good products, we need to collaborate. I couldn't agree more about the soft skills. Frankly, as women, there's studies that show that women tend to be naturally better at the soft skills. I don't know if that's true or not, but I do feel like that's been a benefit. Anyone that has kind of soft skills, negotiation skills can collaborate with others well, play play with others well, come to a common ground, communicate well, listen to others' perspective, have a welcoming and accepting point of view where you're not so hard set on one particular answer is the only answer without respecting the other voices of others. All, all those things that are soft skills that they don't really teach in, in school suit you well in the technology field. I would agree. I mean, I really think the soft skills are important. Challenging the status quo. I love that, Lindsay, because mm-hmm. you do. That's what technology is all about. You don't invent the same thing over and over again. Technology changes at such a rapid pace and uh, you have to, being open to that is how we all come up with the next great idea for ourselves or our company or our customer or whomever it might be. One of the other areas, I do think constantly keeping yourself abreast of, of new concepts is important. You can't always go and get a graduate degree or get a, a doctor degree, although I applaud you, anybody who does, because I wish I had done that earlier. Sometimes it's go get a certification topic, learn about it, take a course in it and get certified in it. And it helps other people to know that you took something seriously and you learned it and then figure out how to apply it into your job, do things that align to what you're doing, but maybe put you a little bit ahead of the game that says, well, yeah, I am, you know, I am certified in that. So the next opportunity may come along for somebody who's certified and has experience. And I think the final thing I'd like to say is, failure is okay. You don't have to get it right. And I think Gabby, you had mentioned getting feedback is important. Hearing that something isn't what they needed, that's okay. You didn't succeed at something, but course correct quickly because time is money as we all know. But if you don't get it right, don't take it personally, but take it as a data point and use that to do even better the next time. And that's all okay. I love all of that. I mean, we are solving tough problems. So it's not that we're going to come up with a solution for the first time around. And having that thought leadership and being able to collaborate with others is so important. The better way to collaborate is to communicate well. So those soft skills are very, very important. Now, I'm going to ask you something that as a woman in technology myself, and along with all of you, I don't know why it's so tough to think about women in technology. What is the most challenging part of being a woman in technology? Although 
to us, it's not very hard to understand that concept. We're women doing jobs in technology. It's very simple. But why is that so hard to understand for others? It is, it's really interesting because why is it so hard? I'd like to say that unconscious bias is behind us. When I first joined the workforce in engineering, nobody even thought I could possibly be an engineer. Uh, my first job actually was at uh, a, I was a contractor, but working at an Air Force base. And there's this big giant sea of people in this like temporary trailer where they set up all these cubes. And of course they put mine near the copy machine and everyone would come up and ask me to make copies. And I was silly enough to just do it. I didn't know, I was right out of school. And I finally had a senior engineer come up to me and going, why are you making copies? And I said, well, I don't know. They, these people with uniforms on are coming up that look like important people and they're asking me to make copies. So I did it. And they're like, well, you don't do that. That's not your job. The moral of the story here is that person ended up becoming my informal mentor. And as a man, a more senior engineer, he took on, on my behalf, making sure that other people didn't think that I was the secretary, that I actually was an engineer and, and was there to solve problems. So I think whether we like it or not, I think having advocates, men advocates, on your behalf really helps and helps to spread the word. I also think that the more of us that are out there and it's growing every single day, then that unconscious bias starts to go away. The whole go make copies, I'm in my mind shuddering and laughing all at the same time because it very much was being in a room of, of all men frequently is, mm -hmm. oh, well, Ellie, take the notes. And so I really try and do that now with teams that I lead. I share that specific responsibility. I literally rotate it around. In a lot of cases, being the only female in a room of men is a challenge to get them to take your perspective seriously and to know that you have a valuable viewpoint and that you may have the golden nugget of solutions. And it doesn't have to be voiced by a man in order for it to be relevant. And so I think some of those barriers have come down over the decades that I've been in, but they're still there. And I've met fabulous people along the way who have been mentors, uh, male and female, that have allowed me to get different perspectives on how to handle those challenging situations and how to do better the next time. Frankly, this, women have been soaring to the top in, in business leadership. We've got more women CEOs than we've ever had. We've got women leaders in government, politics, in all aspects of our daily lives. You, you see it's no longer like the movie Mad Men, where all the people that had jobs were men and all the women were uh, secretaries. It, it, it's not like that at all. However, I find that the big challenge that I've got is really the women leaders that are out there as role models are mostly in business leadership. And they might have had a tech, most of them probably have had a technology background or engineering background. But realizing that business leadership is really what's valued out there more than technologists is a real challenge. People need to see that there is light at the end of the tunnel for a technologist to just be a technologist and not feel like they have to become the CEO or the business vice president running profit and loss. And so that to me is a big challenge for whatever reason, I think that men are just more prominent in these purely technological roles, but there's lots of great 
leaders in technology that are women that I just don't get feel get the same fanfare. I agree. So I, I heard kind of like three strikes throughout our conversation. You mentioned the reindeer shoot earlier, the copy machine, <laughs> and then the taking notes, right? Yeah. That's not what we're all about in women in technology. We really bring those golden nuggets, as Ellie mentioned, of solutions. And we need to make our voices heard and working with each other to help each other out. So I, I love all of that input that you ladies provided. I know that we've been talking about challenges and it, we kind of talked to some obstacles, but can we get more specific as to any obstacles that you had to overcome and what kept you motivated on the journey? We're all women in IT, and there's certain obstacles we've talked about. I mentioned earlier being the only female in a meeting and not necessarily being respected or the contributions being valued, and have even encountered where you know, if it, I said something out loud and five minutes later <clears throat> a man said it out loud, everybody <clears throat> went, hey, yay, great. That was an awesome idea. And I'm like, excuse me? I just said that you have to take it in stride because sometimes they'll come very often when you have those obstacles, but sometimes you want to speak up and you want to say, hold on a second. That's what I was talking about. And you just have to be aware when you want to raise that issue and try and earn the respect of folks and make them take a deep breath and make sure they're listening to everyone in the room. The other thing, obviously, is the glass ceiling is, am I paid the same as male counterparts in the various positions that I've been in? And I know for a fact I was not. And I know some companies, particularly in IT, I've seen a lot more where they're looking to make sure there's equity in compensation to the best they can and make sure everybody at the same skill level in a job category is, is about at the same place. But you know, I think as women, maybe we're not as good at negotiating. I know I wasn't anyway, so I'll put that on myself. And I've gotten better over the years that I have a thought on what I want to ask for, and I ask for it. And if they don't accept it, well, let's talk about it. Let's negotiate on that. And if you can't do it there for me, can you give me something else that goes along with it? And learning to be okay with that, not to sort of shrink down and say, oh, I shouldn't do that. No, I should because a male would do it. A male would go in with the number that they had and they would ask for it. And so for me, those were a little bit of the obstacles and having good mentors and good friends and coworkers to talk about those situations and say, how should I have handled this? Or how would you handle this? Or, hey, I'm going into this meeting and I might get some pushback. How have you handled it similar so that we can share our experiences so that maybe I can put into action something that somebody else has already encountered and hopefully to avoid it. And some of those things have really motivated me to continue on, to try that next step and to, to see what might happen in the next situation. So it sounds like it really boils down to soft skills, making your voice heard and honing in on those negotiating skills to help you overcome some of those obstacles that you encountered. So what are some advice that you'd like to share with the audience thinking about pursuing a career in this field and technology? I have three, three good pieces of advice. First, ask for what you want. Don't assume that somebody knows you're interested in learning a new technology. 
hey, I've, I've done Java. Now I want to go do React or I'd really love to get better at DevSecOps. Nobody will know that unless you tell people that. And so that when that opportunity might arise or you go try and create that opportunity, they'll be thinking about you that says, oh, well, so-and-so mentioned it and they've been really great at what they've done. Let's give them this shot. And I found that that's really helpful. If you assume people know it, that's a bad assumption. The second thing is find a mentor. Find somebody in the organization or somebody outside of the organization that you can go to and talk about your situations, talk about your career goals, sometimes even just vent because we all just need to vent sometimes. <laughs> and, mm -hmm. um, but having those mentors along the way that can help you um, know how to handle a situation better, how to ask for something better, or understand what other opportunities might be out there if you're at the point where you wanna try a new opportunity. And then the third thing is, don't be afraid to try something new. They talk about men and women who look at job requisitions and if there's five skills, the man will say, well, I've got three of them. I'll figure out the other two and we'll apply. And women will, I don't have two of those skills, so I'm not qualified. I shouldn't apply. And mm -hmm. I think in a lot of times, women just, we don't put ourselves out there enough. And I think we should. And fine, if they say no, okay, that wasn't a good fit for you. But maybe they will. Maybe they will say, you know what? Uh, we can teach you that that fourth and fifth thing. That's easy, but you've got all these other great experiences and you've got these great soft skills that are critical to the success of that role. So that's the three that I have. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, Ellie. I think you're spot on. I think just the other piece of advice that I would give is it's going to be uncomfortable to be the only female in the room until it isn't. And it's going to be uncomfortable to maybe be be you in a sea of people who don't look like you and that's okay i will say the way that i have gained confidence in my career is to try and to try something new like ellie was saying and i've learned from trying new things and, and succeeding at new things that i really can do anything I don't have to know the the technology like the back of my hand. I'd never worked in space before my current role and I've succeeded and I've thrived. So it's the more you do, the more you push yourself outside of your comfort zone, the more confident you become because you put yourself in these new situations and you thrive or you succeed or you find out, hey, that wasn't for me. I don't have to do that again. And you find out what you're good at and I am far more confident now than I was five, 10 years into my career because I've tried so many different things and figured out what works and what doesn't. And I think the, the time to try something new is when you feel comfortable and confident in the job you're currently doing. That's when I start, start looking for a new role is when I, I feel confident that, that I know what I'm doing and I'm doing a good job. At that point, I'm not growing anymore. I'd like to just add, it's really about never give up on your dream because somebody else says you can't. Don't listen to that negative, underconfident side of you that will come and say, 
you can't do this because, because, because. Just flick that little thing off your shoulder that's telling you that and focus on the goal and know that you absolutely can. And yes, it's like you might fall, you have, you'll get right back up and have that grit to keep going and do the hard work that you need to do. Nobody ever got anywhere because somebody just made a phone call and said, and, and got a connection and you got in. That is, that I've never, ever, ever, ever had that happen. I've had to apply for every job I've ever had to get. I've had to fight for it. I've gotten denied multiple times for everything that I've ever tried to do. You have to work at it or get better at it. It's so easy to just quit no matter, and just sort of go through the motions of whatever you do. Just keep, keep your eye on the prize. And if you ever, ever feel like you want to quit, pick up the phone, call someone that you trust and, and talk to them. Ladies, thank you so much for providing valuable advice to our audience and giving us a glimpse into your very busy days. Remember that education plays a key role in defining your future path. To make progress, only you can take the steps in the right direction. Thanks to my guests, Dr. Sandy Forney, Lindsay Bobien, and Ellie Damo. Thanks to Kurt Krauss for graphics design. Thanks to Roger Coe for endless reviews and encouragement. And thanks to Joe, always. If you like Keys to the Future, please share it with your friends and let them know they can subscribe to Keys to the Future on Anchor Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review. You can also follow Keys to the Future on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook. Thank you for listening. I'm Gabby Coe, and I'll be back next week with another episode of Keys to the Future. 